Well, good morning. Uh, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Terry Lee, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, that was a quick update from some of our mission partners in the States and around the world. Uh, you, many of you know that we uh, did something at the end of the year that we called Operation 1-8, uh, just taking seriously the commission that Jesus gave and, uh, in Acts 1-8, whenever he said that uh, you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so we began to think, well, who is our uh, Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and uh, who are we considering that is serving to the end of the earth, and, and we, we have missions partners, church plants, uh, that kind of fit in each of those spheres, in each of those categories, and so uh, we took the month of December, a little bit of November and December, and said, let's be a financial blessing to these churches uh, in different ways. They all ha- had kind of different goals that they could achieve if they received funding that was in addition to what they had budgeted for this upcoming year. And so he said, well, you know, we want to be a blessing to them. Our goal was to raise $10,000. And by God's grace and through your generosity, we ended up uh, way surpassing that goal and actually ended up raising $19,768. So let's praise God for that. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have been uh, just the benefactor of God's grace through the giving of other churches. If you're familiar with the story of the Oaks, uh, you know that for basically the first two years, all of our funding came from outside, came from other churches that uh, had a heart to plant churches. And so uh, just seeing that modeled not only through other churches that we wanted to you know, be like, but also seeing that modeled in the New Testament, we said, let's be a part of what God is doing around the world while God is still establishing this church in Cincinnati. And so uh, I'm grateful to be able to celebrate those stories with you. There's so much more uh, that can't be fit into a video, but um, yeah, really excited uh, for, for just what God is doing around the world through uh, what he is doing right here in this room. Um, Now, if you uh, have your Bible, go ahead and find Matthew 28. Uh, We're going to be looking at something very familiar, the Great Commission. Uh, Now, next week, we're going to be jumping back into the book of Mark. If you've been around for a while, you know that uh, kind of in the winter, spring, we roll through the book of Mark. Summer is Old Testament, some Psalms. And then uh, in the fall, we are in the book of Romans until we get to kind of a Christmas series. And so that's kind of our our regular rhythm that we follow around here. Uh, Now, as you're finding Matthew 28, I also just want to encourage you and remind you uh, that we have just started the Oaks Bible Reading Plan. All right, so this is a five day a week Bible reading plan. Many of you have picked up that plan. We have copies of that plan on the connect table in the back. I wanna highly encourage you to do this. It's five days a week. The, the reading takes anywhere from 15 to 25 minutes a day if you do the Old Testament, the Psalm, and the New Testament portion. Um, if, if you're saying, I don't know, I've never really had a rhythm like that before, I want to encourage you to at least take that and, and read the New Testament and Psalm portion. It's a, ta- a chapter of the New Testament every single day. Uh, you'll read it 260 days in the year. Um, and, and maybe you're saying, okay, I want to do that. Um, I just need a little bit of accountability. Well, great. I want to help you there. Uh, Jimmy is leading a group every Friday morning at 6.15, uh, where if you want to you know, read that Friday of Scripture and get together and talk about it with some other people, you can meet with him on Fridays. He's uh, doing that at the Madison Place. If you'd like to uh, meet with me at 6.30 and a, a small group of people on Wednesdays, we'll be at the Madison Place. would love to meet with you and uh, read our Wednesday reading. If you're doing the Old Testament or just the New Testament portion, either way, Come, we can discuss it together and kind of help hold one another accountable in that way. Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, I feel like I'm already a week behind because I want to start tomorrow and we're already five days in. Let me introduce you to the Oaks Church app. Now, I don't want to sound like a salesman here, but the app is free, so I'm not selling anything, okay? And, and Grace and our team worked really hard on this. Now, if you go to the Oaks Church app and you click on the Bible page, then you can click onto the plan tab right there and you can listen to the audio. So you could take like, you know, an hour and a half this afternoon 
and you could completely catch up by listening to the audio. Or maybe you're saying, you know what, my, my schedule's kind of hectic, I don't know if I can read all, uh, but maybe you can commit to listening through the entire Bible in a year. So wherever you currently are, just take a next step uh, that the voice of the Lord would be the loudest in your life. That's, that's our hope at the Oaks, that we'd be saturated with scripture, that the voice of the Lord would be the loudest in our life. Now, uh, our, our sermon today is all about the priority of the church. Uh, I think all of us, um, either Monday night when it took place, when we saw DeMar Hamlin uh, collapse on the field, or maybe you, you saw you know, uh, the, the footage afterwards, or you heard the story. I mean, it was, uh, there's nothing like it. It's hard to explain what was witnessed in that moment and just you know, everything that took place on the field. It, it made me think of a lot of our medical professionals that um, see things that are that difficult on a regular basis. And um, you know, I think the whole world was shocked um, we saw prayer be an immediate response. Um, I, I, think, I think we all prayed. Uh, now, thankfully, as the story progressed, we began to hear good reports. I don't know if some of you saw the picture of him, that you know, he's smiling, he's breathing on his own, um, you know, all these great things, just how the Lord sustained his life. Uh, but one of the interesting stories that uh, came from that time in the hospital whenever he began to be aware again uh, is that he asked for, you know, something to ride on. And the first question that he asked of all the things that he could have asked was who won the game? He was, he was concerned about who won the game. And then, you know, some of the UC doctors said, you won the game of life, right? What else do you say in that moment? You won the game of life. But I think what we see is this snapshot of a committed athlete who knows whenever he puts on that gear and buckles the strap of his helmet exactly what he is stepping into that arena to do. He wants to walk out after that fourth quarter hits zero with a win. His priority is defined for him before he ever takes the field. And so I think the question for us as Christians as a church plant six years in, as we think about perhaps the impact that we want to leave in the world, the question is, what is our primary priority? And I think if we were to spend time fixing our eyes on Matthew 28, that we would say it is to glorify God by making disciples. What is the call that Christ has given to the church? What is the priority that he has placed upon your life? It is to make disciples. And so, so our desire as a church is to make the last words that Jesus spoke on earth the first priority in the life of our church. That the last words that Jesus spoke on the earth would be our first priority. Now, this is nothing new at the Oaks, and yet we're going to focus on it kind of in a more um, specific way throughout this year. It's, it's a part of our mission statement, is it? I mean, it's, it's on the banners. We exist to glorify God and make disciples by bringing restoration through the gospel to Cincinnati and the world. So in everything that we do, this is our desire, is to glorify God and make disciples. It, it reminded me this week as I was thinking about it, about the, the synth pad that you hear that begins before every single song that we play, right? So if, if the song is in the key of C, you're gonna hear this, you know, C, just... All the, all the chords that are in the key of C, they, they come and they, they kind of fill the, the room through the speakers. And then what happens? Well, you know, the song begins and there are different chords that are being played by, by each instrumentalist through the verse. There are different, you know, pieces of, there are different instruments in play. There are different lyrics. There are different parts of the song. There's a ver verse, a chorus, a bridge. There's all of this going on. And yet the underlying tone of it all is the key of C. And here at the Oaks, we do outreach events. We have Sunday gatherings. We have missional community groups. We have serve teams. We have mission teams that we send around the world. We encourage you to uh, serve the, the family that you know, just had a newborn or help the college student that's moving in or seeing someone who's a first-time guest and offer them a place to sit. And the underlying tone of it all is we're glorifying God by making disciples. That's the heartbeat of our church. And so... I mean, I think often whenever we think of discipleship, we think of, you know, maybe like a one-on-one -on -one mentoring relationship. And I think that's, a, that's an aspect of discipleship that is really important. But I also want us to see discipleship as 
so much more, right? I mean, everything's not discipleship, but what is discipleship? Is whenever uh, someone is being conformed to the image of Christ by being with Jesus, by being transformed by Jesus, and by living as Jesus lived. And so with all of that being said, I want us to just consider for a moment what God has called us to. And I think you could summarize it like this, that we are each called to make disciples, to mature as disciples, and to multiply those who make disciples. We're each called to make disciples, to mature disciples, and to multiply those who make disciples. You're gonna hear the phrase all throughout this year, make, mature, multiply. M3, if you want to summarize it, right? that our goal is to make disciples, to introduce people to Jesus in a way that, calls them to repent and place their faith in Christ, that they become a disciple of Christ. It's also to mature ourselves as disciples of Christ, that we want to grow, we want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And finally, to multiply those who make disciples, that wherever you are at in your walk with the Lord, that you would see someone who was once where you were, uh, or, or who maybe is helping you grow in one way and your desire is to help them grow in another, and you would come alongside them, that they would become a disciple maker. For you that lead missional community groups, that's a great place for you to make disciples. For those of you who are a Sunday leader in Little Oaks or Junior Oaks, it's a great place for you to make disciples. For, for someone who says, hey, this is a book that I really want to read this year to help me grow in my faith, I wonder if two or three people would want to read that with me. That's a great way for you to multiply those who are able to make disciples. Uh, the church is called to make disciples, to mature as disciples, and to multiply those who make disciples. And I think the question is, well, how is the church at large doing at this right now? Uh, Barna Research, a research group, took a poll of those who would say that they are a Christian, those who would identify themselves as an evangelical Christian. And uh, the results were kind of discouraging because they found that of those who identify themselves as Christians, that roughly the divorce rates that you see among that group are the same as those who would say they're not a Christian or perhaps aren't affiliated with any religious belief at all. Through those studies, they found that uh, those who regularly view pornography, who are you know, addicted to a substance, uh, those who, you know, would say that um, they have, you know, participated in some kind of domestic violence, that, that those rates are roughly the same among both groups, those who claim to not know Christ and those that do. They found that Christians are actually more than two times as likely to exhibit racist attitudes toward other people. They discovered that about one in four couples that live together before marriage claim to be Christians, that only 6% of people that claim to be Christians regularly give to the church or toward the mission of God. They found out that less than, this was, this was hard to, for me to even imagine, less than one out of five people that claim to be Christians believe that the Bible is true and without error. Less than one out of five people who claim to be Christians believe that Jesus lived a completely sinless life and is the only way to have a relationship with God. And it makes you wonder, how did we end up here? Like, how did the church end up here? Whenever you read through the book of Acts and the confessions of the church, like, how, how did we get here? And I think the reality is that there are thousands, perhaps millions of people who have prayed a prayer because they, you know, felt maybe uh, an emotion during a sermon or at a camp Maybe they walked an aisle. Maybe they took First Communion after receiving some sort of education. And, you know, they just kind of did something without becoming a disciple of Jesus. Without truly saying, I'm repenting of my sin, acknowledging that I am dead apart from Christ. And giving their entire life to him in a way that makes him Lord. And in reality, they're not Christians at all because there's no such thing as a Christian who is not a disciple. They have deceived themselves. And that should break our heart. As we talk about discipleship, this is not a sermon to say we are better than those who think that they are disciples and they are not. That's not our heart here at all. It's not to try to measure up fellow Christians and say, well, what is your value compared to mine? No, our desire is 
to help one another, to move alongside one another as a family, uh, to call those out of darkness into the light of God's love and to link arms together as we take seriously the mission of God. As I think about the Oaks, I'm encouraged. I don't think that the statistics that I just read primarily characterize our body. Uh, But I also understand that it's typical for, for one generation to experience, for another generation to remember, and another generation to forget. And so this is a call to be who we are, a call to uh, do what we have done with maybe a renewed sense of intentionality. This is a call for you to not settle, for you to not live anything on the table when it comes to how you would spend your life, that what you do now in this room and outside these walls would leave an impact that outlasts you. I think the only way that we can do that is if we take seriously this call to make disciples. So with all that being said, let's look at Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. God's word says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So this is after the resurrection of Christ. They go to this mountain in which Christ has directed them to go to. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now what do we see right off the bat in this passage? Uh, That these 11 disciples, they go, they're with Jesus. We read that, Uh, Some of them worshiped, some of them doubted, and that all of them were extremely ordinary. And what is going to take place? God is going to do extraordinary things through very ordinary people, through these 11 people that walked with Christ throughout his ministry for three years. I want you to understand that making disciples is not simply for those who are extremely skilled or know everything that there is to know about Scripture, that God uses ordinary people to make disciples. And the fact that they are ordinary, perhaps don't feel just completely equipped or competent in themselves, is why Christ is going to remind them of his authority in this mission. There are three things that I want you to understand about the Great Commission in the first is Christ's authority. We acknowledge Christ's authority when it comes to the Great Commission. This is the foundational truth that the mission that we are given is built upon. This is the fuel that powers the engine of God's mission. Maybe you should take a moment to just underline the word all in your Bible. Or if you don't underline, maybe write it in your notes. What do we read here? That all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. There is not one square inch of the universe in which Christ does not declare mine. It all belongs to him. Every aspect of creation and every creature, every person created in his image. Consider the fact that Christ has authority over everything. Maybe apply that to whatever could be causing anxiety in your life right now. That Christ's authority has no exceptions that there's no end to his jurisdiction whenever it comes to where he rules and reigns. Now consider the ministry of Jesus. All right, we're not just told that Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. You wouldn't have had to try to make this case to the disciples because what did they see? They saw this man stand on the bow of a boat, rocking and reeling with, with a storm that looked like it would overtake it, with waves breaking over the edge, And he says, peace be still, and what happens? It's calm. They see him speak a word, and and demons shudder. Sickness evaporates. With a simple touch of his hand, the disease of leprosy flees. You didn't have to convince them that Christ had authority in all heaven and on earth. They witnessed it through his life. And perhaps nothing shows the immense authority of Christ greater than whenever he walked out of a borrowed tomb. 
If anything seemed final or declarative, is it not death? And yet he says, I'll take up my life again. Only Christ can put a comma where death put a period. And he walks out of the tomb, declaring that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Consider your life for a moment. Christ's authority is a present reality in the entire universe. Is it a personal reality for you? Christ's authority is a present reality throughout the entire cosmos, the entire universe. Is it a personal reality for you? Has there been a moment in which you open your Bible and you're thinking one thing, feeling one thought, making one decision, and you get to a verse of Scripture, and it's like it was written directly to you. And in a moment you say, I need to change because what I think or what I believe doesn't line up with what Scripture says. That's what it looks like for Christ's authority to rule and reign in your life. Has there ever been a moment that you were listening to a sermon or having a conversation with a Christian friend and you were like, man, it's, this sounds really uncomfortable, but I need, to, I need to make the first move to reconcile this relationship. I need, to, I need to stop doing this. I need to stop thinking this because of what Scripture has said, because Christ has all authority in my life. Have you ever done something by way of obedience that was difficult And yet you said, you know what? It is a great thing to serve at the pleasure of an almighty king. And so I'm gonna do it anyways. When was the last time that maybe you recognized Christ's authority and it caused you to drop to your knees with tears in your eyes and say, Lord, I don't know how to deal with the grief that I'm experiencing from what took place in the past or uh, the, the dying loved one. Lord, I don't know what to do with the weight of parenting or just the exhaustion that I feel from what's going on in my life right now. Lord, I don't know what what could heal this deep hurt that comes from the painful words of a friend, but Lord, I know that you are with me and there is no end to your authority. See, that's what it looks like to acknowledge this authority personally. To say, "I I will take up the cross, I will deny myself and I will follow Jesus. So we we acknowledge the authority of Christ. Not only that, we recognize that we are commissioned to make disciples. We are commissioned to make disciples. After Christ makes known his authority, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now it's important for us to remember that this is famously called the Great Commission. Now why do we look at this passage And whenever we read it, or whenever we seek to give it a title, we don't call it the Great Mission. Because it is something that we do alongside Christ. It is in Christ's authority that we do this. We are co-workers with Christ. This is not called the Great Mission. It is called the Great Co-Mission. Because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. If we are not abiding in Him, there is no fruit that we can yield. And yet in Christ filled with the Holy Spirit that he gives. We are able to carry out the mission that he has given us. What is the call here? It is to go and make disciples. Uh, We see the word go there. That's actually a participle in the Greek, and it almost carries the meaning of as you are going. So wherever you're at, whoever you're with, make disciples. The imperative command in this passage is make disciples. We are called to make disciples of who? Of all nations. What does that tell us? That there is no limit to the grace of God. There's not one person in which you can say, well, probably not them. Uh, we look at our own lives. I was, I, was singing, I was thinking this as we were singing. And I was just reminded of the marriages that have been saved in this room and those who said I was ready to end my life and yet they're here praising God and those who were once crippled by addiction and those who would have said, not me, I'm never going to, to you know, have the courage to share the gospel with my neighbor and you know, I went on a mission trip with them this year and I'm, I'm just thinking about the way that God transforms. I mean, only God, only God could do this. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So the question is, well, what is a disciple? How do I do this? And he tells us two things. 
Make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this baptism is a public declaration of a personal decision. Right? You're saying, I'm united with Christ. I'm entering into a relationship with the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I am identifying myself with God by being buried with Christ and raised to new life, and that happens in baptism. Now, it's just kind of a quick aside. We see that baptism is an ordinance of the local church. So, so while, you know, I'm not going to say that, um, you know, if you were uh, baptized just apart from a local church without like a church family that, you know, you need to get rebaptized. I'm not saying that at all. But I want you to see that baptism is an ordinance that Jesus gives the local church where there are pastors who can say, hey, I've, I've heard your testimony and I believe that the Lord has done a work in your life. That there is a, a group of Christians around you that can say, that's awesome. Like, I heard your confession. I know you. I'm in, I'm in a small group with you. I know, you know some areas that you've been tempted in the past, some areas that you want to grow, and I want to walk alongside with you. That we see baptism as something that the Lord has given the local church so that as someone is saying, I'm, I'm declaring that I am brand new in Christ, that they are being discipled by the church that, that they are a part of or, or by the church that they're becoming a part of to grow. Uh, we see kind of that, that continue to unfold in which Christ says that not only is this person baptized, but they are, they are taught all that I have commanded. Well, how are you taught? Where are you taught? You're taught by the fellow believers that you live in relationship with. Uh, you're taught as you sit under the preaching of God's word, as you're you know, reading books, as you're asking questions, as you're hearing other people pray through scripture, as you're figuring out what your gifts are, discovering them and figuring out how to use them. You are learning all that Christ has commanded. So a disciple is someone who's been baptized and someone who's learning all that Christ has commanded. How do we make disciples? How do you make disciples? Well, by sharing the gospel with someone. When they repent, when they turn from their sin and place their faith in Christ, encouraging them, make that public through baptism. And then getting them involved in a place, you personally coming alongside them, that they would be discipled and taught all that God has given us through his commands. That they would be conformed to the image of Christ as you walk alongside them and they become a disciple. And what is the promise that Christ gives? He promises his presence. The third aspect of understanding the Great Commission is that we are promised Christ's presence. The presence of Christ is promised as we fulfill this mission. He says, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We don't do this alone. Um, this is not something in which you know, Jesus says, hey, uh, this is what you got to do. Good luck. Uh, no, he is with us. He's with us through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, in which indwells us, empowers the church. Now, so, so now we know that we are to make disciples. Uh, perhaps, you know, you're someone who um, leads in young life or uh, in Bible study fellowship, or you're here, you're a missional community leader, or, you know, you're, you're a Christian and you're like, I've heard the word disciple my whole life, and I don't really know how I would define a disciple or discipleship in a single sentence. Uh, you know, maybe one person would say, well, it's somebody who, who really knows the Bible. Another person would say it's always, you know, someone who really shares their faith. Someone else would say, you know, it's someone who's extremely generous. And we would look at all of those definitions and just say, yes, like, is there a way to say all of that in a, in a simple way? And I think there is. And I, I think we have to look no further than the passage of scripture that Sothvik read earlier from Mark 1. Uh, we see that Jesus calls his first disciples. Now, let me give you a brief history of the, the Jewish education system. Um, so for, for children, kind of, you know, from, um, you know, early toddler age, you know, kind of beginning like preschool age up until they were 12, they were enrolled in a school that was called Bet Sefer. Uh, this literally means the house of the book where they were immersed in the study of the first five books of the Bible. And then whenever they got 12, they kind of graduated from there. Many of them, you know, would, you know, begin to work in the home or, you know, begin to work kind of in the, uh, in, you know, the trade that was a part of their family. But some select 
uh, students would continue to go on. They would go into uh, Bet Midrash, and that was kind of almost like uh, middle school. You would learn, you know, all about the Old Testament, and it was just kind of this deep immersion in all of the scriptures. Now, even less uh, would become part of something called the Bet Talmudim, which literally means the disciples, the learners, house of disciples. Now, if, if you were in this category, then you would, you know, uh, basically have to find a rabbi and say, hey, I want to be your follower. I want you to make me your disciple. I want you to teach me all that you know. Teach me to live how you live. Teach me to think how you think. And so the rabbi would quiz them, you know, and say, hey, what was the interpretation of Joseph's dream? Um, You know, can you recite Jeremiah 21 from memory? Uh, You know, who were the Nephilim? Just like all all of these questions. And then if they thought that they were good enough, which most they didn't, then they would say, okay, you can be one of my Talmudim. Come and follow me, and I will make you one who can teach like me also. Now, with that background, consider for a moment the way that Peter, Andrew, James, and John would have experienced the call of Jesus, the Son of God, this great teacher, to come and follow him. Is this not a picture of the gospel? That, that they were those that didn't make it. They didn't make the cut. Right? If they're out fishing, then, and what do we see? They're not like reeling in a ton of fish. You know, they're like, they're, they're sitting there, they're mending their nets, you know, like, so... It doesn't seem like they are the best of the best just from reading Mark 1. And then, I mean, what do, what do we say here all the time? That Jesus meets us right where we're at and loves us too much to let us stay there. We see the grace of God in that Christ meets us exactly where we are. Christ met them exactly where they were. And he says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Look again at Mark 1, 16 through 20. This is passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Here I think we find a basic definition of discipleship in verse 17, where Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I think the three components that we see of discipleship there is that we are called to be with Jesus, uh, that we are called to be transformed by Jesus, and that we become like Jesus. We begin to do what Jesus did. How do we see that? How do we see these three components here? Well, first, a disciple follows Jesus. Jesus finds them where they're at, and he says, you're going to have to leave your nets. You're going to have to leave what you are currently depending on for life and sustenance and everything you know. Turn from that and now follow me. What's the Christian life? There is a moment in which you hear the gospel, recognize you are dead in your sin, and you have sinned against the holy God, and you say, this isn't it. There's no life here. And yet Christ has done something for me to have a relationship with God. The, the, the only thing that I've always longed for just became apparent and it is found in Christ alone. We say, I'm, I'm following Jesus. And this isn't just like a, a one-time thing. No, following Jesus, being with him, it's daily recognized in the Christian life by hearing the, the voice of Christ through the scriptures, by depending on the spirit of Christ as we pray, as we cry out to the Father. It's by you know, being a part of Christian community because we want to be near to the body of Christ. So, so we're those who follow Jesus. Not only that, we're those who are being transformed by Jesus. Are they transforming themselves? Are, are they making themselves into fishers of men? No, what do, we, what do we read here? Jesus says, and I will make you fishers of men. There's a moment in which you call upon the name of Christ and in that moment you are justified. You are declared righteous. You are positionally righteous before a holy God and he looks on you and you're blameless and innocent. But then what happens over time? You are sanctified. You're gradually conformed to the image of Christ as Romans 8, 29 says. That your desires begin to change. Your affections begin to change. Your plans are conformed to scripture. The things that you view as valuable Uh, the way that you desire to live your life and view others, how you set aside your preferences, all of this is being transformed by Christ, by the work of the Spirit in your life. 
Not only that, we see that they become fishers of men. Christ is saying, I'm going to teach you to do what I'm going to do with you. Uh, we don't see them whenever they receive the Great Commission saying, oh, like, how do we make disciples? Like, like uh, where are my notes from that class? No, he says, we did this for three years. Like, you, you know what it means to be like me, to become like me, to become a fisher of men, to become one who then pours your life into others that they would recognize that they are sinners in need of saving, that they were created for a relationship with God and they can have one through me. So a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, who's being transformed by Jesus and, and begins to do what Jesus did to become a fisher of men. Now, I, I think these are kind of the broad categories of what it means to be a disciple. Here at the Oaks, whenever we talk about bringing restoration through the gospel, we, we specify a little bit uh, you know, in greater depth than uh, maybe these three categories of you know, following Jesus and being transformed by Jesus and doing what Jesus did, becoming a fisher of men, by looking at our core values, which are gospel story, identity, mission, family, generosity, and diversity. So, so the question is, well, am I a disciple of Christ? Am I growing in my walk with Jesus as a disciple? How do I make disciples? How, how would I appoint people to and I would say, well, you know, if, if you, you know, love the scriptures like we do at the Oaks and you'd say, I, I believe that, you know, being a Christian means being immersed in scripture and understanding that I'm a child of God and living on mission and, you know, spending time, you know, caring for my church family and, and giving as Christ has given to me. And I, I want to, uh, you know, be uh, one who reflects the kingdom of God in my relationships. And I would say, you can look at the way that we've, we've structured the values of our church because the values of our church corporately should reflect what it looks like to be a healthy disciple for each person individually. And whenever you think about the health of our church, uh, I want you to see that the health of our church, the health of the Oaks, is really the sum of the spiritual health of each one of our church members, of each person that's here, of each person that's living this out. Well, what does it look like for you to pursue discipleship specifically? I want to show you our core values and just walk through them briefly. Uh, maybe this is a moment in which you'd say, I'm going to give myself like a letter grade for each of these. And not for the sake of feeling bad, but for the sake of desiring growth and just taking a personal assessment. Maybe you would say, you know, I'm going to give myself kind of a, a red, yellow, or green or, or whatever it is. Because I, I want to grow this year. I want to become more like Christ. Well, first is the gospel story. You believe the gospel. You're being conformed to the gospel. What would be an action step here? To meditate on scripture every day, to read God's word every day. That may be the, the verse of the day on the YouVersion Bible app, or that may be going through the Bible reading plan, wherever you're at, to be immersed in the story of God and realize this story is much bigger than us. Identity, that you would realize that you are a child of God and that you are much more than your accomplishments or your education level or your current role, that you are in Christ. How do you live this out? Pray every day. Like to take hold of what you've been given in Christ as a child of God and approach the throne of God who is Father. Mission, to make God known to those around you. You desire for others to have a personal relationship with God. How would you apply this? I would say that you have a group of people who don't know the Lord that you're praying for every single day and that you say, I'm gonna share one meal with someone who's not a believer every single month. Right, this is, these are not commands. I'm just saying maybe, maybe these kind of get, get your wheels turning. Family, you see yourself as an interdependent part of God's family. Right? You see yourself as a part of the family of God, the church. Uh, now, I want to encourage every single person here, if you haven't gone to our starting point class, please go to our starting point class. Uh, one, because selfishly, I want to get to know you better, and that's the best way for me to spend a little bit more time with you. Um, but also because it's really a way in which you can work through these things in depth and, and say, how do, how do I want to grow as a believer? And, and starting point is kind of the best next step here at the Oaks. Well, what does this look like for you to apply this as someone who's committed to a church family? I'd say you worship on Sundays and uh, you connect with another Christian on a weekly basis. 
so that is through missional community groups. Maybe for you, it's, um, you know, you get here a little bit early and you say, I, I don't know if I can add another thing to my schedule, but I can certainly get here 30 minutes early and spend time with another believer. Maybe it's um, that you're, you know, joining an equipped class because you love your missional community group but want to grow specifically in a certain area. I would say, join one of those. Maybe you would say, you know, I want to, uh, you know, read through a book and this is one of the ways I'm gonna do it with someone else. Um, generosity. You give sacrificially of your time, treasures, and talents to glorify God. I think very simply, uh, one of the ways that you live this out as a disciple of Christ is giving a percentage of every paycheck to the local church. I think that if, if this is the church that you're committed to, then give to the Oaks to be a part of what God's doing around the world here. If you'd say, you know what, I've never given to a church, then you know, maybe pray about what obedience would look like for you in this level. Uh, maybe you start out at 1%. Maybe you're someone who gives 15% and you're saying, what would it look like for me to trust the Lord more in this way? Uh, I think another way that you can live out this, this desire for generosity as a disciple of Christ would be to serve on a team once a month. We have a lot of opportunities here at the Oaks. I'd also say figure out a way that you can serve another believer in a tangible way every single month. Say, you know what, I know this person, um, they're always looking for a ride for church. Don't kind of go past their house. I'd love to give them a ride. Or, you know, this person, uh, you know, this is a couple and I'm sure it's hard to, for them to find babysitting. Like I want to babysit for them once a month. Or this is a, a middle school student who may need tutoring. Like how can I serve another believer once a month in a tangible way? And finally, diversity. Uh, that our relationships are defer, diverse and reflect the kingdom of God. How can you live this out? Join a missional community group. Uh, this is a place in which we have people in all stages of life and from different backgrounds together. Missional communities are a way to live this out. I'd say read a good Christian book by someone who has a different perspective than you have. Maybe it's just one book this year. Uh, maybe it's 10 books this year. Wherever you are at, just simply take the next step and then to share a meal once a month with a church member. And so, so I hope that uh, this feels fairly doable. If you're like, well, this is overwhelmed. You just give me a ton of stuff to do. Then I'd say, just focus on one thing a month, one thing at a time, right? Every two months, however you want to take this and say, I want to grow as a believer. We're looking at uh, what it means to apply the great commission. And this is just how I am laying it out for you. Um, I, I want to look at these three emphases, make, mature, and multiply. First, to apply the Great Commission, we are called to make disciples. Uh, we see that this is not optional. This is not a suggestion that Christ has given. He has called each and every one of us to make a disciple. So who is close to you but far from God? Who is someone who right now would not identify themselves as a Christian? They wouldn't say, I believe the gospel and I'm following Jesus. And you just simply begin to pray for them and figure out how you can share the gospel with them. For some of you that are parents, you may be thinking of the child that lives in your home right now. Uh, for others of you, you're thinking about your parents. Maybe you're thinking about a roommate, a coworker, whoever God has placed in your life that you can share the gospel with. Well, we see Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.8 talk about the relational nature of making disciples. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, speaking to the church in Thessalonica, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Share a meal with a non-believer once a month and pray that God will give you an opportunity to share the gospel. Second, we are called to multi or mature as disciples. If, if disciples are those who are taught all that the Lord has commanded. We know that that's a process that never ends, which means that we are always learning. We're always being matured as disciples. We say around here a lot that healthy Christians grow and growing Christians change. Uh, we should constantly be seeking to grow and to become more like Christ. Now, it probably goes without saying that you won't always get this right. That there will be moments in which uh, you try and fail, uh, but the goal is progress, not perfection. Uh, just think about maybe small habits that could have a huge impact on your life. Uh, something that I tell our team often is, you know, we want to dream big but start small, all right? So, so we want to dream big and then say, okay, just like what, what is the simple, attainable, realistic next step? Um, there's a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And one of the illustrations that he gives is that if there is a flight that is going from Los Angeles to New York, 
But as it takes off the ground, the plane shifts by just 3.5 degrees, barely noticeable, just a, a couple feet, barely detectable. By the time that it gets across the United States, that plane will not land in New York, but instead in Washington, D.C. That a small difference, which was almost undetectable at the time, would result in over 200 miles of distance different. So the question is, what is, what is a small habit? Meditating on the scripture, journaling, texting a friend. What, what, what is a small habit that perhaps over the course of your life could yield changing results? There's a question that um, is from a book called The Common Rule that has really stuck with me the past two months. And the question is, based upon your current habits, who are you becoming? Based upon what you're gonna do tomorrow, based upon what you did yesterday, not, not who you are, not like, hey, do you like know your entire Bible or are you a really bold evangelist? No, based upon your current habits, who are you becoming? And I just think, like, who does God want me to be? Like, whenever I stand before the Lord, who do I want to be? And, and then let me implement what it looks like to live that out by reading the Bible daily, by praying with others, by being dependent in prayer, by storing the word of scripture in my heart, by giving generously, like help me to be like Christ and to mature in that. So the question here for you is, um, what do you need to do and who can help? That's, that's a question that I ask, um, you know, uh, a group of guys that I meet with often that are training to be future pastors. Like, what do you need to do and who can help? Um, and, and maybe think about someone's like, man, I, I really want to grow in this way. I feel like they're really good at that. Like, how can, how can I come alongside them and learn from them? And finally, we are called to multiply those who make disciples. I think one of the phenomenons in our culture that has just been an example of disruptive uh, technology would be that of the rideshare program. I mean, think about Uber and Lyft, like, you know, pre-rideshare programs, uh, you know, taxi industry was kind of crazy. I imagine logistics were really difficult and the overhead costs were just unbelievable. And then seemingly overnight, it's like anyone with a car and a phone could be an employee of Uber or Lyft and, you know, work for them, make a paycheck. And basically anywhere you were in the United States, you could type in a location, click a button, and you would have someone there to pick you up in a matter of minutes. Like what happened? This new innovative and disruptive technology took something that was just kind of for the few, reserved for the select, and then made it possible for anyone to get in on. Here we almost see something that resembles that in which Christ gives the Holy Spirit to us so that we are all invited to make disciples, to take what God has taught us and to teach it to others, to take those who are walking with Christ and say, hey, come walk alongside me as we follow Jesus together. In 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, Timothy, or Paul speaking to Timothy says, you then my child. So he's saying, hey, you're my child. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So I think the most difficult question perhaps here is, all right, I wanna do this. What is my next step? Well, for those who you're saying, I, I want to you know, bring someone into a relationship with Jesus and realize in every one of these categories, there's your part, there's the Lord's part, and then there's the other person's part. All right, so uh, measure success just by your faithfulness, by what God has called you to, to do, not the results of it. Um, seek to make disciples and initiate that relationship. Begin to pray for them now. I, I've spoken to almost everybody in the room, and I'd say it's probably not difficult for most of you to come up with a name because you kind of know uh, who God has placed in your life that isn't following him. Uh, figure out how you can mature as a disciple. Lord, what's my next step? Like, who do I need to connect to? Um, what, what does it look like for me to become more like Jesus? Uh, we know that, you know, as you see the map at the beginning of a trailhead, it's only helpful to read that map to see where you're going if you know where you currently are, which is why they always put a big red circle that says you are here. Take an assessment of where you're at uh, and say, okay, this is where I'm at. Lord, this is how I wanna grow. Help me take some next steps. And finally, what does it look like for you to multiply those who make disciples? Who'd say, hey, this is someone that, you know, um, maybe you wouldn't even say I'm further along in my faith than they are, but maybe you'd just say this is a dear friend and I wanna grow alongside them. And so um, this is something that we're gonna do together, uh, meeting weekly, every other week, or maybe monthly to encourage one another and to keep one another accountable. 
Now, um, I, I want you to know that uh, I gave you a tool that we are just not going to have time to get to because I do this every single week, right? Um, but, uh, but if you look at the back of your worship guide, you'll find a circle. And I want to explain this as quickly as possible. And then I'll put like a video in the weekly email that really walks through this in depth. So there are five levels of discipleship here. Really the first one is not a disciple, but someone who is not yet a disciple. And you kind of see that inner circle where it says dead, infant, child, young adult, parent. Uh, so progressing in the faith is, is seen as, you know, kind of this maturing into adulthood as, you know, someone who goes from death to life, someone who is born, then they're an infant in the faith, a child, a young adult, and a parent. Now, for someone who is in that category, what is your role? Well, for the first person, you share. So you share the gospel. Um, the person is born again. Whenever they become an infant in the faith, what is your role? It's to share your life with them, share new truths with them, and then to share new habits with them. As they move from being an infant to a child, what is your role? It's to connect, to connect them to God through scripture, to see that uh, this story that they're living in is bigger than themselves, to connect them to a missional community, uh, to see that there are other people who have needs, there are other people uh, who have difficult lives, to connect them to purpose, figure out how to discover them gifts, their gifts and then how to use them. As they move from a child to a young adult, you equip them for ministry. You provide ministry opportunities and release them to do ministry. Maybe that's, hey, this is someone that, you know, could benefit from, you know, walking through financial planning and you're really good at that. Or someone that you can, you know, teach the Bible or someone that you can serve in our missional community group. And then finally, they become a parent in which they are able to multiply themselves and make disciples as you have discipled them. Now, you see kind of on the inner circle there that each stage is characterized by a, a specific belief or attitude. And so maybe it's, you know, unbelief for the person who is not yet a Christian. It's ignorance for the person who's an infant. They just don't know what they don't know in the same way that, you know, a, a baby doesn't. Uh, maybe they're a child. And so they're just kind of thinking primarily about what they need. Like this is, you know, well, well this just isn't serving me. And, and then as they move from being a child to a young adult, they realize, hey, there are other people that I can serve. As you consider each of these categories, think how can I multiply those in one of these categories, help them grow, but also consider where you are and then how you could grow if you're in one of these stages. This is a lot. I invite you in your missional community group the first week to walk through this diagram and think of how you can best apply it to your own life. Remember that we don't all start at the same place or grow at the same pace, but because of what Christ did, we are all being grown we are maturing as disciples of Christ as we seek to follow him. He is transforming us to look like him so that we can glorify God and make disciples by bringing restoration through the gospel to Cincinnati and the world. Let's pray.